Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Are we ready to start, Lisa? We are. Great. All right. I'm obviously attending virtually today. Welcome to the City of Alameda Transportation Commission meeting for January 24th, 2024. Um, I will pass it off to Lisa to do roll call, please. All right, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Here. Commissioner Johnson. Present. Commissioner Noctegal. Here. Chair Souls. Here. Vice Chair Ewan. Here. Commissioner Suthanthira. Here. Commissioner Whitesey. Here in person. Thank you, and um, I am here virtually, and just for, um, I'm traveling for work, which is why I am um, using the hybrid attendance option, and we thought just for the ease of facilitating the meeting this evening that I would uh, pass it to Vice Chair Ewan to be able to run the meeting tonight, so I appreciate you stepping up and doing that, and hopefully that will make public comment and running the agenda a little bit easier for everyone this evening. And with that, I'll pass it off to you for agenda item two. Great, thank you, Chair Souls, and um, good evening, everyone. I'm really excited to be filling in um, for Chair Souls as chair of today's Transportation Commission meeting. I will just say that if for any reason I go off procedure, um, I will rely on um, Lisa and Rochelle to bring us all back on track. So um, thank you in advance, and I appreciate your patience with me. Um, so we did roll call, so let's go on to any agenda changes to the, to the agenda today. Okay, seeing none, we'll go on to staff communications, and I'll hand it over to Lisa. Good evening, Chair Souls, Vice Chair Ewan, and Commissioners. I'm Lisa Foster, uh, Acting Transportation Planning Manager for the City of Alameda. Um, we'll start off with City Council actions on items directly reviewed by the Transportation Commission. You'll notice, you know, in 2023, I had all the 2023 ones here. That's all been cleared away. So now it's, we're starting fresh with a new year. So the one thing here is that on February 6th, the City Council will um, consider authorizing agreements to implement the estuary water shuttle service. We have transportation commission meetings coming up on February 28th, March 27th, and May 22nd. And uh, upcoming transportation commission agenda items, AC Transit has released their AC Transit Realign Phase 4 um, bus service update proposal, which if you recall, the last one was a, a, a different scenarios. This one is one proposal, and we do plan to bring that to the next Transportation Commission meeting for your discussion and review. They are also, in the next couple of meetings, planning to bring their Transit Streets Design, design Guidelines uh, project that they are working on updating those. And then we'll um, also have our transportation and climate action and resiliency plan and housing annual reports for your review and 2024 work plans. We have some um, bike events coming up in February, February 11th. We have an adult learn to ride a bike class at Alameda Point. 
And on February 13th at the library, there's biking in wet weather. Um, we have a couple of things at the Mastic Senior Center, February 15th, March 14th, there's Transportation 101s. The March one is a tentative date. That will be our first Chinese language version of this event for seniors, which um, is really great. And we also, the city has a survey right now about how community members would like us to communicate with them. So it's the residential communications survey. So we do encourage people in the community to fill that out. Um, there's the accessibility in Alameda survey still open, as is last I checked, the Caltrans District 4 bike plan. Um, I do want to let you all know we did have a third fatal crash in 2023 on the very last day, sadly. It was a solo crash. Uh, a driver lost control of their vehicle at high speeds and um, hit a tree on Marina Village Parkway. Uh, so that is the sad news to share. And then, you know, we'll have more information about what the year looked like at our next meeting with the Vision Zero annual report. We did complete improvements at Willow Street and San Antonio Ave, which is the site of a fatal crash earlier this year. And then um, a couple other things that are happening. We completed improvements on Main Street as part of our striping and signage maintenance program. Those are pretty great, especially, I'm very excited about the slip lane being removed on Main Street and West Midway, um, which makes it a lot safer for people walking and biking. The um, Sherman, Clement, and Atlantic con in intersections is, intersection is under construction right now with some updates, uh, which I think will improve the intersection. The Cross Alameda Trail signals, uh, that construction has started. That should finish, I think, I think they said summer. Um, and then the construction on Clement Avenue from Grand Street to Broadway to extend the Cross Alameda Trail and do uh, traffic calming, ADA improvements, that will start probably in February. Um, we did apply for a big grant for the Lincoln Marshall Pacific project, for uh, Avenue project and did not get it. That was the Safer Streets for All federal uh, funding program. Um, but we did get a uh, grant to complete the design. So we're continuing on to work with that. So that's with Alameda CC CTC. And um, finally wanted to give share really great news that Public Works has three new assistant engineers, um, two of them focusing mostly on transportation. They are Aaliyah Douglas, Cody Lim, and Michaela Wood, and we're super excited to have them and, um, and should make 2024 a productive and easier year for us. I will close there. Thank you, Lisa. Um, so now we are moving on to um, a non-agenda public comments. And so this um, is a, an area for public comments related to any um, non-agendized item. And so I'll just read that the city welcomes speakers providing public comment, but please be advised this is a limited public forum. As such, speakers must, must stay on topic 
if speaking to a particular agenda item and, and if speaking during non-agenda public comments, they must address matters within the subject matter jurisdiction of the City of Alameda Transportation Commission, which is transportation issues that affect the City of Alameda. If speakers fail to follow these rules, they will be warned. And if they continue to disregard the rules, their opportunity to speak will be ended. So with that, do we have any um, folks who want to speak at this point? Um, I guess acting chair, you and I, I do not have any speaker cards and I don't see anybody online raising their hands. Okay. Great. Well, we will move on to the consent calendar, which we have one item here, the November 15th meeting minutes. Um, and I will just say that I will abstain from voting since I was not at that meeting. And I believe it should be true also for Commissioner Nactigal. So just wanted to open up to see if there's any questions or comments from the commissioners who attended. Go ahead, Commissioner Susan Thera. Um, thank you, Vice Chair. I think just a minor, I, I, there is a typo, I think. On page three, it should be action item for 6A. It's very minor. Thank you. Noted. I'll make a motion to approve. A second. Thank you. We'll do a Should roll we call? do a roll call vote? Yeah. Um, just so everybody knows, we do roll call votes when we have anybody remote. So, um, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Yes. Commissioner Johnson. Yes. Commissioner Noctegal. Abstain. Uh, Chair Souls. Yes. Uh, Vice Chair Ewan. Abstain. Commissioner Sutham Thera. Yes. And Commissioner Weitzey. Yes. Great. Thank you, everyone. All right, so we're going to move on to our regular agenda, 6A, um, review and discuss existing conditions and initial public input for the Fernside Boulevard traffic safety and bikeways project. I'll just note for everyone that this is a discussion only. We'll, we will not be taking any action or votes um, after tonight's presentation and discussions. And the presenters, I believe, are David Percy and Jimmy Jessup with um, Parametrics, along with Lisa. Yes, I'll, I'll launch us off. I was gonna stand up, I'll just stay here. Um, so, if you could go to the next slide. I don't, do you wanna give me the cover? So we are here to talk about the Fernside Boulevard uh, traffic calming and um, bikeways project. And we'll give you um, existing conditions and initial input from the public on this project. Uh, the project covers 1.3 miles of this corridor from Tilden Way to San Jose Ave. It connects to the Clement Ave and Tilden Way uh, project, which is, as you know, a separate project anticipated to con start construction this year. It also connects to the existing two-way cycle track and medians in front of Lincoln Middle School. We are trying to do two things. Um, one is to design a concept for the full corridor. And the other one is to design a more quick build upgrade uh, that we can do with pavement resurfacing west of High Street on Fernside. 
So why here, why now? The, the project goal is to reduce traffic speeds and improve safety and mobility for all. Um, and part of the timing is to coordinate with that pavement resurfacing. When we presented to the public, there was a lot of, of, of audible agreement with the idea that we should talk to them before resurfacing and restriping, and they don't want the same thing put back down. Um, and we also have a number of plans and policies that we are implementing by working on this. One is the Vision Zero Action Plan. Fernside is a tier three high injury corridor. Um, and that was for all modes. For bicyclists, it is tier tiers two and three. You might remember tier, tier one is most bad and tier three is least bad, but still on the map. Um, Fernside, you know, another way we prioritize things is equity priority areas. This is not in an equity priority area. It is, however, a really key part of our active transportation plan, which shows Fernside with a low stress bikeway and with pedestrian improvements. Um, you can see here that it is a key part of the 2030 low stress backbone bikeway network. So you might remember low stress or bikeways meant for all ages and abilities, meaning children, older adults, people who are interested in biking to get around but are afraid of biking next to fast moving cars. And then of the you know, low stress network that we uh, identified, this is a subset that we aim to construct by 2030. Um, what we're calling the backbone network that will provide connected routes around town the plan proposes separated bike lanes on Fernside Boulevard. And of course, there are a number of ways to achieve that, and that's why we have been going through this process with the community to figure out how to do that. The plan also shows Garfield Ave and San Jose Ave as neighborhood greenways, which as you know, are a new facility type for Alameda. They will be pedestrian and bicyclist priority streets with low auto speeds and volumes, as well as low stress crossings at key intersections. And also, Fernside is officially an on-street section of the San Francisco Bay Trail, which is a regional project. So I'm now gonna pass along to, I believe it's David Parisi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Good evening, commissioners. I'm David Parisi with Parametrics. And I'm gonna cover some of the history and also background on the street, and then my colleague, Jimmy Jessup, will uh, discuss some of the public outreach that's been gained to date. Uh, here's a, a fun photo from uh, the 1800s, actually. This was the, uh, called the Fernside Estate, uh, developed by A.A. Cohen, and uh, was a huge piece of this area of town. And downstairs is a big map that shows the whole parcel. Uh, a lot of history, I'm not gonna go through all of it, other than the show here, uh, three maps in sequence from 1900 through the 1950s. And the first side of state was not sold to developers until about the 1920s, and it's still visible on these on the first two maps here. Uh, you can see that big, big parcel there. Uh, a rail loop connected the easternmost extent of Alameda, and that was installed along uh, what would become Fernside Boulevard and returned down Encinal. Uh, so really neat uh, history there. And the East Shore area, you can see in the last figure on the right, uh, and land occupied by Lincoln Middle School rests upon uh, reclaimed land, which was uh, filled in in the 1950s. So the sequence of events are, are pretty fascinating and really do evolve along around uh, land use and transportation. 
I'm now going to talk about some of the existing conditions on the street. There's been many uh, small projects that have been implemented on Burnside over the last 15 years. I'm not going to go through all of them here, but the city's paid a lot of attention and developed safety improvements as well as multimodal enhancements as well. As Lisa mentioned, we are looking at uh, 1.3 miles of Fernside from Tilden uh, to San Jose Avenue. And we've broken these up into three segments for discussion purposes, because each segment is, is a little bit more unique than the others. Segment A is from Tilden uh, to High, and that's one the segment that we'll also be looking at a near-term plan for. And then B and C are from High to San Jose Avenue. And they vary a little bit in, in width and other circumstances, which I'll show you with these photos here. Uh, here's part of segment A. This is from Tilden to High. The right-of-way available is 80 feet, which is from back of sidewalk to back of sidewalk. The pavement itself is 60 feet between the curbs um, with a, a center two-way left turn lane, class two on-street bike lanes on this segment. And then interestingly enough, the sidewalks are six feet wide and the planter strip in between the sidewalks and curbs about four feet wide. Heading down the road across High Street to Fernside between um, High and Liberty, the right-of-way widens out to about 80 feet here. And interesting, the, the road's a little bit narrower, to about three feet narrower in this strip. But the sidewalks are wider, and so is the planting strips, and so are the trees. So that's quite interesting in, in uh, what you get with the environment with a wider planting strips. Uh, the canopy is uh, much greater in this stretch. You can also see this is where the roadway has been converted to buffered bike lanes and one traffic lane in each direction. And as we go toward the middle school, the street widens out a little bit more from 57 to 60 feet again, very similar to as in segment A. Um, again, with the buffer bike lanes, and this has the, the most narrow planter strips, and you can see uh, what that has resulted in as far as the trees and landscaping along this, this stretch. So, again, generally curb to curb, the width of the street is 57 to 60 feet. The planter strip varies from about two and a half to five feet, and the sidewalks from five to about six feet. We also know that uh, along this stretch of the roadway, there are uh, limited marked crossings of the street. For sure they are, they exist at the signalized intersections and the stop sign controlled all-way intersections, and there's a couple others as well. But otherwise, uh, we're looking at about 1,000, 2,000 feet between marked crosswalks along the roadway. The AC transit routes, there's, uh, there are actually no local lines that currently operate along Fernside, but between Tilden and High, the Transbay lines O and W operate, and a school route service uh, provides um, access to Lincoln Middle School from Bay, um, from Bay Farm Island. This graphic just quickly shows the boardings and the lightings, as you can see, and most of them do occur at Lincoln Middle School um, with substantial ridership. We also spent quite a bit of time looking at the crash history, and of course these are the reported crashes along the corridor. And before I get into that, as, as I'm sure you all know, that uh, the higher speeds that a vehicle hits uh, a pedestrian, the higher likelihood of uh, severe injury or death. And what part of the goal of this, this study, this project, is to reduce speeds to reasonable speeds and to try to make it safer for all users. And in a five-year period between 2017 and 2021, there was 64 crashes that were reported along Fernside. Um, 
And interestingly enough, the state average for a, a similar roadway of, the, of this type would be about 1.4 crashes per million vehicle miles traveled. But you can see, uh, particularly on segment A, the first side, uh, between Tilden and High, we're about uh, three times higher than that, about 4.7 crashes per million vehicle miles traveled, whereas segments B and C are pretty close to the statewide average. Of those 64 crashes, a little over a third, that is 22 of them, resulted in injuries. And this map here shows the uh, locations of those. Eight of them involve pedestrians or cyclists. And there's a, obviously a few um, injury hotspots, uh, particularly at the intersection of Firstside and High, as well as at Harvard and at San Jose Avenue as well, where you see uh, more dots. And of course, there was a fatal crash on September 6th, 2021, at Fernside and Cambridge. We're very aware of that. It was a high-speed driver who, who failed to stop a stop sign and caused a uh, broadside collision. I want to talk about some of the data that we've collected. I alluded to speeds earlier, and we did do some speed surveys along the street. Um, and we compared those to results from uh, surveys that were done in about 10 years ago. But you can see from these maps here at the two locations, one west of high, the average speed uh, as measured is about 30 miles an hour. The 85th percentile is higher than that though, about 30, 35 miles an hour. And the highest speed we recorded was 46 miles an hour. Pretty similar results actually east of high, 31 miles an hour is the average, 85th about 35, and the highest speed recorded about 44 miles an hour. Interestingly enough, compared to the 2013 surveys that were done by the city, um, the 85th percentile speed has increased by about two miles an hour in that 10 year period. We also did traffic counts uh, with tubes across the street and some intersection turning movements counts as well. And we compared these traffic counts on a daily basis to other streets throughout Alameda. And the first two bars are showing the average daily traffic. Uh, two locations, again, west of high, about 8,600 vehicles per day. Traffic volumes are higher east of high, about a little over 10,000. These compare pretty well to Lincoln, Central Avenue, and Isnall Avenue. Uh, as you can see in the very far right, Otis Drive and High Street Bridge have uh, substantially higher numbers. These are just interesting to, to compare. As I mentioned, we did do tube counts, so we put those across the street, looked at traffic volumes every 15 minutes in both directions on weekdays and on weekends. And these show the uh, eastbound and westbound traffic flows. They also show that in the weekend uh, conditions, traffic's about 10 to 25% less. But again, we have a lot of data. We can look at traffic in each direction. Uh, certainly one lane in each direction is, is adequate, more than adequate to, uh, uh, to serve the traffic demand. This graphic here uh, really shows some of the, the the peak flows, the heaviest traffic movements, there are higher volumes traveling north and west along Fernside in the morning hours, both on weekdays and on weekends. Um, and we certainly were able to see that the high proportion of traffic volumes on Fernside are traveling from or exiting a bridge. So we're seeing the bridges kind of intercepting a lot of the traffic that's going along Fernside. We also did some limited bicycle and pedestrian counts on the corridor. And of note, about 10 to 15% of the traffic on 
of all the traffic on first side during school drop-off and pickup time consists of cyclists. Um, and uh, we also noticed there's some challenging maneuvers that some of the cyclists have to make to make, make left turns even across the street at certain locations. So we heard that a lot of that from uh, the outreach that was conducted that Jimmy will recap in just a moment. We conducted a comprehensive traffic count, or I'm sorry, parking surveys on both sides of the street between every single block at three different uh, periods, one during the midday of a weekday, one at a weekday evening, and one uh, in the midday of a weekend. And as you can, you can see here that on average, e any of the segments are less than 50% parked with on-street parking along the street. And the re reason we bring this up is some of the long-term ideas particularly uh, may impact parking uh, to one degree or another. So we wanted to be aware of what the parking uh, demand currently is. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to my colleague, Jimmy Jessup, who will summarize some of the uh, community input. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Jimmy Jessup also with Parametrics. Uh, we've heard a lot about data gathering, physical observation, um, an additional important component of understanding existing conditions is getting input from the community. Uh, and that's, that's what I like to talk about here. Um, what we tried to do was to uh, attend to information gathered before the project through various means of data input, see click fix, uh, and emails over the past several years with a focused effort to, to really understand at this point in time how the community uses and um, their experiences with traveling along and across Burnside. So in order to do that, we've held a community workshop, a virtual workshop, and an online survey in the past two months. Notices for the workshop and to participate in the survey were sent out via a number of means through mailers to every address on Fernside, through uh, A-frame sandwich boards that were placed on the corridor for two weeks, and then also via over 4,000 emails and texts to various email listservs from the, the city. The community workshop was held on December 4th during the evening at Edison Elementary, which is two blocks from Fernside Boulevard. We were pleased to have 85 participants from the community show up. The forum consisted of a presentation, much like what we heard on data gathering on an, uh, existing conditions. Uh, we also had an open house at the end of the community workshop, wherein participants could mingle and look at maps, other information we offered potential traffic calming and bikeway toolkit solutions to learn more about and to gather feedback on. Uh, and some of what we heard was uh, very engaging. You can see a, a few more pictures here with individuals able to, to really take their time and to have a geographic nature of the exercise, spend time with the maps and, and to make comments on perceived and desired effectiveness, uh, desired solutions that, that might potentially improve user experience along Fernside. We also handed out input forms to all those who attended. We were able to gather 27 filled out input forms. And of those that were collected, 93% of them did respond with safety 
or vehicle speeds being high as one of their main concerns. There are a number of other issues that were talked about in detail and the free response area allowed individuals to really go into a, a lot of depth in their responses. So we heard about illegal vehicle passing maneuvers. For segment A between Tilden and High, vehicles would pass in the center lane. And then for segments B and C between High and San Jose, we would hear of vehicles passing to the right in the buffered bike lane. Uh, a number of comments on difficulty crossing the street, vehicles not coming to a stop at stop signs, and a number of other pedestrian bicycle uh, responses that became themes throughout our community engagement process. Of our input forms that we collected, 7% of these responses remarked that they desired no change or that they were satisfied with the roadway as it currently exists. And we heard other feedback uh, about specific intersections or perceived effectiveness of existing treatments such as the RFB flashing beacons at a number of intersections along the corridor. Here's a picture of what our maps looked like. They, these are large. They were 10 feet by three and a half feet, split into three sections, aligning with the, the three segments, A, B, and C, as we described. And it really gave um, an opportunity for participants to reference the proposed toolkit options, to make annotations on A, what users feel are challenges or pinch points in using the street and b what solutions they would like to see and at precisely what locations overall we received 155 individual comments most of those were remarking on challenges with the existing experience on fernside um, fernside and high street a complicated intersection received the highest number of total comments of any intersection 19 at that intersection largely remarking on the difficulty of crossing or confusion or suggesting a roundabout or other alternative intersection arrangements. In terms of concerns that were brought up, the same themes of vehicle speeds, illegal passing maneuvers, running stop signs, difficulty crossing the street uh, came up frequently and you can see some of the uh, zoomed in photos of what annotations looked like these were a lot of fun to get to go through and, and just get a deep sense of how users experience the street. Uh, in terms of improvement suggestions, there were about 25 to 30 improvement suggestions for the pedestrian experience, the same number for bicyclists, and then about 17 generic traffic calming suggestions. Uh, the highest number of responses were really pointing toward crossing Fernside Boulevard. So a desire for more flashing beacons or even just marked crosswalks over stretches where there are long distances between marked crosswalks. And then fewer number of suggestions that noted other improvements such as improving sight lines, bulb outs, pedestrian refuge islands, and raised crosswalks. And in terms of bikeway improvements, there was a lot of enthusiasm of general protected bike lanes. We did offer buffered bicycle lanes as a potential solution um, for segment A, but there were no plus ones for buffered bike lanes. As you see here, the number of plus ones on, on some of the annotations on the map. 
Um, and there were more comments that were enthusiastic about one-way physically separated bike lanes compared to two-way physically separated bike lanes, but there, there were a lot of comments that were desiring uh, a seamless connection to the existing two-way cycle track that is runs from Otis to the, the middle school. And then in terms of other traffic calming feedback, there were a number of individuals that wrote in desires for speed humps, roundabouts, or other intersection geometries, speed feedback signs, median islands to prevent illegal passing in segment A, and uh, there were a number of other comments on drainage issues and, and prohibiting or enforcing a re restriction on large trucks along the roadway. Uh, I put this up just to show the extent of detail that users were able to describe, and we were really trying to encourage as, as much gathering of feedback as possible. And, and so specifically on the map, people can get a geometric and geographic sense of what would we like to see on the street. And that was, that was part of the fun for us going through all these comments. The project also hosted a virtual workshop a week after the community workshop on Zoom. This was on December 11th from 12 to 1 p.m. We had 28 participants, and the presentation concluded with a segment for questions and answers, after which um, the team was able to immediately respond, and, and we received a number of other comments along similar themes, but also noting challenges with entering and exiting driveways and wanting to make sure that future treatments would still allow for driveway access. And, and also a suggestion to generally make improvements visually appealing and, and an overall environmental enhancement. So the project also solicited responses to an online survey. This ran from November 21st to December 17th. Uh, we were watching the numbers increase and cheering at every additional response. We eventually, eventually ended up with exactly 600 respondents. Uh, there were 16 questions on the survey. The response time took an average of seven minutes to complete. And we asked a number of questions both to understand the experience of users as well as some demographic questions. Uh, respondents, by and large, lived near Fernside Boulevard or within one block thereof, about two-thirds of respondents lived close by, and also half of respondents uh, remarked that they traveled along Fernside or across Fernside on a daily basis. Uh, so these were relatively frequent users familiar with the street. Participants were given an option to remark on a number of modes of travel that they use when traveling along or crossing Fernside the most responded by vehicle, but there were high respondents that indicated that they walk or cycle across or along the street, whereas the users of bus service were, were less in comparison. And when given the option to note typical destinations, 422 respondents said that they are traveling to or from one of the bridges that is nearby Fernside. Home and shopping were also noted as frequent destinations. Uh, we listed 15 potential challenges when using Fernside from which respondents were able to select up to seven of 
their most challenging aspects when using Fernside. I know the text is small here. Uh, the highest number of respondents remarked that there were challenges with high motor vehicle speeds, safety of people walking, biking, and crossing the street. Um, there were lower tiers of responses, such as traffic congestion and truck traffic, um, while few individuals noted challenges with condition of the roadway or condition of the sidewalk or appearance. 75% uh, of respondents to the online survey did take time to script in the freeform response that was open and just asked for any other feedback. Uh, so in the end, this consists of our largest body of qualitative input on the project. So a sample of comments from the online survey are given here on the screen. Again, remarking to the same type of themes that we've discussed, the street having high vehicle speeds, desiring protected bike lanes, a sense of um, not feeling safe while trying to utilize the street. And when we took a deeper look at the free responses, we also identified that 5% of respondents remark on current difficulty entering or exiting driveway. And then also 5% of respondents said that the street is fine as it exists or that there's not any desired changes. This aligns with the input forms that we also received at the community meeting. Uh, improvements suggested largely centered around pedestrian and bicycle enhancements, also a number that desired more police enforcement or a vertical speed deflection solution. Uh, and there, out of 450 free responses, uh, are so many comments that touch on a number of different topics. It's just so fascinating to get into the mind of those who really can speak from the ground level. And then to finish up on survey demographics, uh, who were those that we were getting responses from, those 600? Uh, about just over half of them um, did not have children under 21 living in their home, but almost half did. And they attended a number of schools in the vicinity of Fernside, as listed on the right. Uh, precisely 400 of the respondents, or two-thirds of respondents, identified as white, 69 as Asian, and uh, then less in, in the other races and ethnicities that were offered as, as choices to select. About three-quarters of the respondents said that they were younger than 65, and 90% of the respondents indicated that they owned their residence. And then in terms of income levels, 10% were under 100,000 for household annual income. And uh, then 30% indicated that household annual income was over 300,000. To sum up all the input that we gathered, uh, there were consistent themes in terms of challenges with utilizing Fernside in its A, B, and C segments, but uh, there were remarks across the corridor about high vehicle speeds, difficulty crossing the street, safety of bicyclists and pedestrians, and illegal vehicle passing maneuvers. The most common improvements suggested centered on first pedestrian safety, largely the desire for more flashing beacons and marked crosswalks, and then also 
many suggestions around bicycle facilities, largely designing protected facilities that pro would provide and facilitate safe routes to schools. There were a number of other traffic calming improvements remarked, such as speed humps and other intersection arrangements, as well as the desire just to see general travel lane reduction and, and for enhancements to be visually appealing and for that to be coupled with, with targeted enforcement. Uh, consistently throughout our means of feedback, we received a rate of about five to 10% of respondents that did not desire improvements along the corridor. So we hope to integrate a lot of that responses into the next stage of the project to talk about the next steps. I'll pass it back to Lisa. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, go one more, yeah, there we go. So after talking to you, we're gonna go to the drawing board with the team and come up with some draft concept alternatives for the community to review and for you all to take a look at um, in, uh, we're aiming for May and June. Let's call it late spring. Um, and then we will you know, get feedback on that and based on that feedback, we'll look toward identifying final concepts for your review and for city council approval. The idea being to have two. One, the um, quick build version that we could do with the pavement resurfacing and then one, the, um, the long-term full corridor one. So we've tentatively slated that section of Fernside for uh, resurfacing t next year. Um, and then the timing for implementing the full corridor will be dependent on getting funding you know, we have an active transportation plan goal of implementation by 2030, but we, um, the, the timing is kind of up in the air depending on a number of factors. Welcome your thoughts and feedback, thank you. Thank you um, for your presentations. So now we're going to open the floor to commissioners for any clarifying questions for Lisa or the consultants that presented. I kind of have Go ahead, Commissioner Weitzi. I don't know, it's, maybe this is too broad a question, but it sort of wants to clarify something I've always wondered about public input on this kind of project. Does, does the breakdown of the solutions desired by the, by the public actually look any different than any other project when you do this? Do you always kind of see the same responses? Do you always kind of see the same breakdowns? And if so, does that argue for maybe cutting the timeline for public comment? I'm just curious how different the results are for different projects. Because we're asking, much like me, non-experts, to suggest things, and I'm curious what those look like. No, I would love it if you responded. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Every project is different. It, it really depends on what the issues are. If it's a speeding uh, problem or a pedestrian is trying to cross the street or lack of bike facilities. So I'd say every, every project we work on is unique. We do see common themes um, with speeding on, on projects, right? Um, on this one, certainly with the long distance between crosswalks, um, similar projects, we'll see the, you know, the desire to provide better connectivity. But it really depends. It depends on the street, the width of the street, the speeds, uh, the speed of traffic. 
in the presence thereof or not of bicycle and pedestrian facilities. So if you, but if you look at similar projects, do you kind of see the same breakdown of answers? I mean, I, I realize that's a very broad question, but I'm just mm -hmm. curious, like, it seems like there's some learning there, right? That you do a public survey, you do a public input, and you can say, well, these four projects in these four different cities were objectively pretty similar. Do you always see the same responses or, or not? We see, if, if you look at that, those pies that Jimmy was showing you earlier, similar responses, but different sizes of each pie. Right, depending on, on what the issues are and the needs. So uh, ho hopefully that helps answer it. Yeah, that's okay. they're, all they're all a little different. Go ahead, Commissioner Sutantira. Uh, thank you, Vice Chair. Um, I think um, tagging along uh, Commissioner Waitsi's uh, comment, uh, the context can provide the difference, make the difference, I would say. Because it's a complete streets is what we are looking at, and everybody will be wanting, you know, safety improvement, and 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 most of the potential solutions kind of fall in the same part, uh, with the, you know the um, the intensity of responses are per se, you know, it may vary, but the context being over here, uh, which I don't see, um, is that uh, this. Uh, the, the first segment is really connecting the gateways, mm -hmm. which is very unique to Alameda. And, uh, and in some of the numbers that I see, like the high street bridge exit being 25,000, I don't really see the numbers adding up. You know, uh, the, there is that 8,000, or then, then there is another um, 12,000 or something like that, but the numbers are not really adding up. So you may want to check it. Um, and again, in terms of the context, what is the regional, or wh what is the number of or the size of the traffic or the, the trips that's getting out of Alameda is uh, going um, out of the city or becoming sub-regional traffic, um, you know. So they really don't have the, and they are the ones you need to really address in terms of, you know, slowing them down. And that will probably be the second segment, but uh, they are definitely playing a big role in the, um, the first segment because I used to be one of them before, so I'm, I know how people drive. Um, and then the another one is uh, the 20, 2019, you know, pre-COVID traffic. And what you're looking at now is uh, post-COVID, right? Um, and it is still hybrid. Uh, we don't know how it is going to be um, moving forward because a lot of big companies are asking people to come back. Um, so it is worthwhile to compare how um, the pre-COVID traffic was on this um, corridor um, and compare it with how it is now. So just plan for, if it is excessively high, then you know, just have plan B, or have a potential option as a solution. Those are great comments. I can respond to a few things. We did look at the pre-COVID versus the traffic counts. They're within 10%, so we'll continue tracking that. Uh, High Street Bridge, you know, that also has traffic coming on High Street, right? So things don't add up just on, on Fernside. But the survey was important that Jimmy was talking about, about where, where folks live. Uh, just so we can understand, you know, how much of this is, is commuter traffic coming through the neighborhood versus people who live on Fernside or, or nearby. So we're able to look at that. Uh, nonetheless, we think everybody's speeding. <laughs> that is not just, you know, the cut through trips. So we're very, you know, we're very um, uh, sensitive to that. And, but for sure, we'll continue looking at comparisons with the traffic volumes, regional traffic, and the pre-COVID. Information. I just want to add that um, uh, Commissioner uh, Dara Abrams and I were there at the open house. It's, it was pretty exciting, a lot of uh, people, and I 
think it's very sizable uh, turnout uh, for the holiday time per se. So um, good job with uh, the table engagement and then the, the giant sheets spread across the table and everybody was really engaging and then it was inviting for them to uh, provide comments. So just yeah, considering to the time, time of year and the time of the workshop, um, we were very excited about it. We all underestimated the number of folks that arrived. We were very, very happy to see the input. I just want to, um, we're just doing clarifying questions for right now, and then we're going to go to public comments, and then we'll open it up for discussion. So I, I don't know if you have a clarifying question. Okay, great. Go ahead, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, so I, I have a number of thoughts on treatments. I'll save for the discussion. I just wanted to ask specifically as a uh, clarifying question, um, I've found in a number of um, meetings like this I've attended in the past that the form the feedback comes in from the public is speed bumps. Um, I know you're speaking more to humps and to vertical deflection, broadly speaking, um, and also um, requests for stop signs as a means for speed control. And just as, I, if I may, ask for clarification, not so much for my own purposes, but just to suggest that this is a topic that might be of relevance to the broader public if maybe you two could speak very briefly to, um, well, first, whether stop signs are even speed control devices, and second, um, when you think of the menu of vertical uh, deflection options, um, maybe you could put those in just very practical terms for folks who may be thinking of a speed bump in a parking lot and mapping sure. it onto this. I'll, I'll start, you. and Jimmy can feel free to add to it. Uh, stop signs are not speed. Uh, control devices, they're, they're, they're traffic control devices, and some of the feedback we heard, frankly, is that folks are rolling through stop signs out there today. So we want to be very cognizant of that. We're going to be looking at traffic calming speed intersections through other means than, than stop signs. As far as uh, vertical deflection, there's certainly a difference between the old speed humps you see in parking lots that, frankly, the faster you go over them, the less you feel them, <laughs> the ones that are very short, versus uh, speed humps, which can be 10 to 12 to 14 feet long three to four inches high, uh, versus speed cushions, which have a gap, you know, for larger vehicles, buses, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, we'll work within the city's guidelines when we're looking at any of these uh, types of devices as potential means to, to slow down traffic to reasonable speeds. Jimmy, anything you want to add to that? Uh, maybe just to add in terms of the public feedback, we mentioned that we listed a number of uh, potential traffic calming and bikeway solutions, as, as you would have seen. Um, we did not list addition of stop signs or any vertical deflection devices. Uh, we did receive a number of comments on speed bumps, probably colloquially speaking, that's what people think of, but um, we categorize that all as speed humps. Uh, we didn't receive unsolicited suggestions for additional stop signs along the corridor. So it, that probably speaks to the way people think of traffic calming more as people's minds go directly to the speed bump or water speed humps. Thank you. Any other clarifying questions? All right, let's go to public comments. Okay. Yeah. So we have um, one hand raised online and one speaker slip. So um, I think we can do the three minutes 
Um, the first speaker in person is Drim Strelo. Happy New Year, council members. Um, glad to be here in person. I uh, had troubles in the past when uh, on the uh, online, uh, you have the video broadcast link, it simply fails. So I'm glad to be here in person, but you do have to realize some people have trouble with the online uh, access. Uh, the community workshop for Fernside was disliked by many because we were expecting some group discussions and it was go to your tables. Huh? There was no general feedback you know, from the people there. It just, you know, it was presentation and uh, go to the tables. A lot of us didn't like that. Uh, police enforcement is highly desired by most with whom I talk, so that seems to not be uh, stressed as enough with all the other statistics. The East of High segment B has more accidents, high injury, than the West of High segment A, and yet you seem to want to redo West of High, West of High Street, Fernside, uh, and saying that let's use what's already there on segment B. Segment B has more injuries. It, it's poorly designed. I like segment A as is. Uh, keep the uh, middle left-hand turn lane. It's also, I live on Gibbons. It's easy for me to travel from Gibbons onto Fernside. So when somebody says it's difficult, no, it isn't. Please consider street depressions or dips at some intersections. You keep talking about bumps and vertical deflection, but I have found dips in other states, mostly at entrances to state or national parks, to be very effective. Statistical summaries without details published are questionable. Uh, I'd like to see the actual details on some of those statistics. Um, I have problems on segment B when I go north on Fernside Boulevard, want to make a left onto Thompson Avenue, Christmas Tree Lane. It's most difficult with its current design with no left turn or middle lane uh, as the west of High Street uh, design as segment A has. Uh, one day while uh, uh, going on my bicycle, going from Cornell Drive onto Fernside Boulevard, I go into the westbound bicycle lane and I almost get mowed over by a e-bike or scooter, I couldn't tell the difference, uh, you know, because it went so fast in its bike lane and passed right past me. So you must begin to address citywide the high speeds in bike lanes. Also, your on-street parking percentages will be higher when daylighting reduces parking spaces in, in your calculations. So we now have uh, two people with their hands raised. Um, Bennett Schatz. Hey, commissioners, can you hear me? Yes. Cool. Um, thank you for talking about this and presenting this information. Um, I'm a West Alameda resident, but I use this route to reach the Bay Trail and Bay Farm Island. Um, I just want to hi highlight it's kind of in the proposal proposed area, but not really. But the bike transition from one way bike lanes on either side of the street to the two way bike line 
bike lane uh, between like San Jose and Adams is extremely dangerous and high stress right now. Um, that's often how people get over across to Bay Farm and the Bay Trail. And I think any plan should take into account that most cyclists are merging onto that two-way bike lane right now. And right now they're either reliant on the pedestrian crossing or they're just diagonally crossing the street. Um, there's no sort of big button. There's nothing right now. It's a very high stress place. And I think that either some sort of marked lane or a better transition, or I think, you know, a consistent two way bike lane. That's a continuation that has been suggested by many of the public is a very good idea. Um, so thank you. Next, we have Jay Garfunkel. Garfinkel, sorry. Thank you, Garfinkel, right. You know, I always find it frustrating to listen to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, these staff reports. Um, you're planners, that's what you get paid to do, you plan. The plan doesn't necessarily have to make any sense or be on target, it just has to be a plan. My experience watching these meetings is that the commission is going to do exactly what you're asking them to do. So this could have been simply a written report. There's no need for the public to participate because the public is generally ignored except for the special interest people. For instance, transportation uh, plays great uh, attention to Bike Walk Alameda and the Downtown Business uh, Association. The rest of the citizens are sort of irrelevant. You suggest that uh, over half of Alameda residents regularly take trips by bike. I doubt that half the residents even have bikes. Those that do have them probably don't ride them any more than a few times a year. There's a lot of misleading information in your uh, reports. The fatality on uh, Burnside at uh, Moreland or, or uh, Harvard, wherever it was, that was an outlier. That was totally bizarre. And it would not have been prevented by anything that you are proposing. If you want to uh, make it safer, put in some more crosswalks, use lighted, uh, the blinking light crosswalks, uh, and uh, do more uh, police patrolling. You know, once the, uh, back when the motorcycle cops hit out behind those pillars on uh, Fernside, they slowed down the traffic tremendously. But since then, there's hardly ever any uh, speed patrolling uh, on Fernside. Uh, Fernside was built as a wide uh, boulevard uh, with the intention of connecting it to a Transbay bridge that never happened. People buy houses on that street. They love the trees, the large street, and then they complain that they can't get out of their driveway. When you buy property there, you know what the downside is and I don't expect that the city needs to be uh, responding uh, so vehemently or so violently or so vigorously to their uh, complaints. The, most of the people who travel on Fernside are not residents of Fernside. Most come from Bay Farm Island and otherwise across the bridge. Yet you ignore what this is going to do to their ability to uh, transit Fernside. Thank you. There are no more hands raised. Okay, thank you. Um, now we can open up discussion 
on this agenda item. I paused, I didn't want to go first, but I'll go first. <laughs> go ahead. Um, so one of the suggestions is we need more crosswalks. I think that was some of the public suggestion. And I guess it, I would like an expert to explain why the addition of more unlighted crosswalks is, is a good thing. Because from an amateur perspective, it seems like having more places where more people cross, but those areas are not protected, those areas are not beacon lit, seems like you're adding more pedestrians in more places unpredictably with traffic coming through. And so I guess I would like to understand why we would not limit crosswalks, but just make better beaconed crosswalks. Because one of the, again, because I, I read this suggestion all the time, we need a bunch of crosswalks, and the public I think believes that, and maybe that is true, but I, I just, I don't, I don't understand how to square that to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we don't have the answers yet, but we're gonna be looking at some of this input the collisions and the opportunities. Certainly we heard and we saw and we spent a lot of time out there with uh, residents trying to cross the street, heard a lot of, a lot of complaints and the fear, you know, just trying to get across with, with high speed traffic when they're walking their dog or with their, with their child. Um, spacing is, is quite a distance, what, 1,000, 2,000 feet between, uh, on average between some of the marked crosswalks. So um, I think it's part and parcel also to look at how we can slow down the speed of traffic and get it to a, a reasonable pace, as well as lights, like you said, um, and perhaps uh, combining these with other tools, maybe refuge islands if it makes sense, or curb sure. bulbs, making a shorter crosswalk, and uh, perhaps rectangular flashing beacons. So there's a bunch of parts to that. So we'll be looking at the entire combination of where it can make sense. Now, does it make sense with crosswalks everywhere? Probably not, but there's gonna be some strategic locations where we have high high pedestrian demands where there are not marked locations now and we we'll want to make it more more visible not just for the pedestrians but also for the drivers can so they can, can be more, more aware of that. Um, just to rely on your expertise is there any evidence that adding crosswalks additional crosswalks especially if they're unlit unbeaconed is there any evidence in other projects that that actually increases pedestrian vehicle interactions and accidents basically what i'm asking is that do we see that that actually can be a bad thing in some cases uh, I think in some cases, if you're not careful, right, um, there's, there are some recent studies out that show under certain conditions, under certain speeds of the street, traffic volumes, that certain countermeasures can make a lot of sense and, and improve safety for pedestrians, uh, including many of the countermeasures I just mentioned, uh, plus some, some additional ones. So we'll be looking at all the, all the different combinations that can make sense for this street. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Um, so, um, yes, I got a chance to attend the workshop with uh, Commissioner Susan Thura and was really, um, you know, it was fascinating to listen. So thank you to everyone who's involved in organizing it. Um, I'm also really impressed with the analysis of current conditions. You know, just, you know, every question that comes to my mind has been answered by, well, the next slide and the next analysis. Um, I, I do want to offer some comments and some questions on the proposed treatments. Um, that is where some of my concerns are, uh, both for this as a quick build project and this as a, a permanent project. Um, so, you know, you all have been emphasizing that, um, you know, driver speeds is the primary issue, not the only issue, but the primary. And just looking at the proposed treatments, uh, they, they do not seem to target that. They're 
taking off treatments that either currently exist and you know may like rectangular rapid flashing beacons may have value, but they're already on the corridor. Um, and um, uh, so I, I would, you know, speaking as a non-expert, but I think it would be very useful for the team in the next phase to uh, look into options that really target just driver speed specifically. Um, and, and also thinking of like par partially my kind of contrived clarifying question before is maybe also helping connect the dots for the general public about treatments that really get right at that straightaway driver speed. So um, I'd like to just offer and I'd be very open to, to you know, being told this by the true engineers which of these are relevant or not, but uh, hardening the center line. Um, I know you all did mention um, uh, that coming up, but you know, if we're thinking quick build K rail down the center line, I know it's ugly, but that is that could be effective, not just for preventing crossings, but for um, you know, if speeders feel like they're going to knock off their side near against some concrete, uh, that that could be a an effective deterrent. Again, I'm very open to being told by the professionals what is relevant, but um, hardening the center line, uh, raising intersections, probably more a permanent build option, but um, if we're thinking of vertical deflection, um, you know, what could really make a, for a better experience for pedestrians and also have some added benefit of, you know, um, give, triggering those shocks in the right places rather than, you know, speed bumps that are just, you know, don't have the added benefit. Um, uh, moving parking lane closer to through traffic. I know this is maybe a corollary together with a buffer, with a um, cycle track. Uh, but if those motorists have to choose, if their consequence for speeding is knocking off their side mirror against a parked car, if they're going 40 miles per hour, um, that that is a means of addressing speeding. Um, and finally, not relevant to this quarter, but um, you know, chicanes are an option that I think I'm just thinking more broadly. Again, I'm not saying relevant to this quarter, but I'm I'm trying to encourage the team to consider how to put on the table um, treatments that address the number one concern of speeding because these will come up in other corridors too. And um, you know, I think it will benefit, there's certainly a lot to debate and disagree on uh, for the public, but um, I my main feedback is to um, move the discussion past uh, rectangular rapid flashing beacons as the Band-Aid and move on to you know, which of these treatments, whether it's quick build materials are permanent, um, are going to tackle what, you know, when the public says speeding, then let's make that happen. Safe crosswalks, let's make that happen. Um, and just one other on this list, I, I again, non-expert, but, you know, could the city just switch from thinking of RFFBs to going up to Hawk beacons? Like, I don't know the difference, but can we, in terms of, making these legally stop 
require a stop versus being an advisory movement or an, advi an advisory to a driver. So again, I, I, I'm very open to if, if uh, Lisa or the consultants would like to, to uh, uh, correct any of these non-expert thoughts, but I, I just want to share this overall feedback um, about uh, intervention toolkit for this corridor and for potential future ones. Sound like an expert to me. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, Go ahead. I'll, I'll Thank you. Back. Yeah, you're right. We're going to be looking at other tools uh, besides what was mentioned and also besides vertical deflection. So the horizontal deflection, I think you, you, you quickly mentioned uh, ways to narrow the street, either visually or actually, uh, through some treatments in the middle of the street, on the sides of the street, chokers. Uh, you talked about the possibility of long-term with uh, parking floating a little bit out. We'll be looking at all these all these alternatives. So certainly reducing the uh, speeds. Chicanes can certainly be considered narrowing the lanes. Uh, we also have very wide lanes on the front side, so that's, uh, that's also a consideration. So um, I got a lot of good notes from your, from your input, so these are things we'll be considering. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? Yeah. So, speaking of specific methods we can put in place, um, remember the public asked about dips, essentially, as opposed to you know, going up, going down, and mm -hmm. how they often use those at the entrances of national parks. Are those actually appropriate for Alameda in the sense that we, are, we have flooding issues, we have uh, not a lot of altitude here, quite frankly? Do, typically speaking, will we not use those in this situation? Typically speaking, you would not use those, right? They're usually used for drainage purposes, not for, for speed control. They can uh, do a lot of damage to a vehicle, but even more so to a driver and the passengers in a vehicle, because they're not designed for uh, you know, speed control. They're, cool. they're very abrupt. Thank you. David, while you're up there, um, sorry. No problem. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Um, could you also address Dara Abrams' comment about the, I, I believe the flashing beacon is not advisory. It actually is illegal to cross. And I think actually almost any curb to curb, I don't remember. Do you have any insights that are, that you know for sure to just inform that, that it's not merely advisory? I think it is enforceable, correct? Correct. So rect uh, the rectangular, rectangular rapid flashing beacons, the ones that flash yellow, you push a button across, those are, drivers are required to yield to the pedestrians, right? The Hawks, or the active hyper beacon that you brought up, yeah, those are the ones with the double, the red, red flashing. They have a walk and don't walk light on them, uh, and drivers are required to, to stop at those. Uh, the city is implementing both types, uh, depending again on the circumstances, the width of the street, the lighting. If there's a neighborhood greenway coming through and higher, higher bike or ped volumes, perhaps we'd look at a Hawk in those locations. So uh, also the cost is, is considerably different uh, oh, okay. between the two. A rectangular rapid flashing beacon, if it's solar powered, can be done for 15 or $25,000, uh, depending on uh, you know, ADA ramps and other things you need to do. Whereas a Hawk is on a mast arm pole, and it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars for the installation. Um, so things to be considered. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Tara Souls, did you have other comments to make? 
I didn't. All of my mine were answered in the presentation that was given earlier, and um, I appreciate the thoughtful comments by um, Commissioner Jenner Abrams. I think there's there's a level of enforcement. Um, you know, it's the combination of design and enforcement that I think we have to look at, and this is getting us part of it. Uh, but I didn't have any other further comments or questions, Vice Chair. Thank you. Go ahead, Commissioner Johnson. Jimmy, is that your name, Jimmy? Question for you. Um, make sure I got this here right. Um, what was? Can you remind me again of the radius of your 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 outreach that you did? I mean, I know you, it sounds like you guys had great turnout at the workshops in December, but do you feel like you got a a, a, a good representation of the um, of the community in terms of like what was the footprint? You know, in terms of how far you guys went for for outreach. Hey, <clears throat> Jimmy, Thanks. do you want me to answer? Oh that? yes. Okay. Lisa, go for it for a few The footprint of the outreach, you know, we sent mail, uh, postal mail, mm -hmm. to all the addresses on, on Fernside Boulevard. Um, but the email mailings that we sent out, and of course social media, went further. We did have a Fernside mailing list, and we included them, but we also included a number of other mailing lists. And, and the... Um, Project was included also in, in a citywide mailing that our public information officer sends out. So that went to everybody who has signed up for any city of Alameda mailing list. Um, and we also, we got it out to schools. We, um, or we shared it with schools and, and people within the community shared it with their communities and schools in the area. Um, it's in, and there was a lot of excitement about it. It seemed like people who in the community really did help spread the word on their own as well. And I felt like the, the community, the, the people who were able to show up at that in-person workshop uh, were on the whole um, maybe a little older than the, the people who live in this area. Um, but we, you know, I, I think we heard from a, probably a broader perspective from the survey, which of course had 600 responses. Jimmy, did you want to add anything? No, I think that, that describes and, the. And that so that's 600 based on what you were saying, Lisa, and what you distributed. Does the 600, does that sound like a, a is, is that a, an expectation? If you say 600, you go, oh, wow, that's great. Or was it 600 like, eh? You know, how did that 600? 600 respondents to one corridor um, for, a, yeah, it's really good. Okay. It's a lot. Okay. okay. And at the open, I didn't get a chance to go to the open house, but did we feel like, you know, did we have people from the ADA community? Do, do we feel like we really got enough that we were really transparent so that we don't have people who said, well, you didn't reach out to me, I didn't hear about it. You know, did we want to make sure that we're being as transparent as possible? I know people don't. In my opinion, when you do outreach, you should kind of go knock on doors to follow up, but probably the city didn't have resources to do that. So I just wanted to make sure that we reached as many people as, as, we, as we could. We definitely reached a lot of people. I think there, you know, there's always room for improvement, and we have you know, another round of outreach to do, um, and we can you know, take input about how to do that better. We, um, we really focused on community groups 
related to that area. Like I know that the HOAs were sharing information. There's not a ton of multifamily housing in this area. Okay. Um, so you saying, Lisa, there will be more outreach in terms of in the future? Yeah, yeah. When we in this May and June mm -hmm. or so, um, it's what we're imagining at this point. We will be coming back to the community with the uh, scenarios for them to look at, like different, okay. uh, different. Um, concepts for them to review and give feedback on. And I would imagine that this will bring even more interest because then they'll have something more tangible to respond to. Okay. But this was just asking people what their experience of a street is right now and what their priorities are. Um, That's good, Lisa, because I was wondering thinking about like lessons learned because each time you do something, you want to mm -hmm. try to do it better. So I'm just trying to figure out to make sure that we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's and making sure we're getting a representation of everyone. So, um, but thank you though. Thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Jim. Maybe Commissioner Johnson it might help to describe because you know this, this isn't a scientific data gathering approach, but we really do try to stretch ourselves wide and, and get as much as possible. So, but looking at some of the responses and conversations that I did have and some of us did have, um, we did know a number of uh, comments that that were made both in terms of pedestrian facilities and accessibility okay. improvements that can be made bikeways and accessibility different types of bikes for different types of users and accommodating uh, all ages okay. and abilities and uh, yeah there's always room for improvement but we try to okay. take that into account okay all right thank you Jamie Commissioner Susan Thera did you I'll kind of go to you first and then okay. Commissioner Nachtigall next okay. thank you Aisha um, so going back to my non-clarifying question, sorry if no, I share, I always right. <laughs> get that mixed up. <laughs> Someday I will ask only the clarifying question in the beginning. Um, so one question is, what is the classification of Fernside Boulevard? The roadway classification. believe according to the city's classification system it's identified as a neighborhood collector um, and and the reason I'm asking is that uh, you know there are certain improvements certain type of improvements like the raised uh, intersection um, won't be applicable on a collector street you know it'll be probably on a, a residential street or probably one below the collector street. So you may want to look at the appropriate application of the, you know, the improvement types, especially like I said, this being a, um, a collector, or mainly the, um, you know, connecting gateways. It's not just a commuter traffic. It is also the trips that gets to be in this being Alameda being island, you know, anybody wants to go to Oakland or anything, any doctor's offices. Are, so if we are looking at sub-regional traffic going from you know, our local trips. So um, it is important to add a section or acknowledge that characteristic, unique characteristics of this particular corridor, which is not the case in Encinal or you know, Central Avenue, but you know, Fernside is unique. You may want to really look at that angle and then you know, address that, um, you know, add a section. So people don't come back and say, or, or at least we we need to, as a professional, you need to add that, um, and um, you know, so um, and identify appropriate points and uh, the solutions related to that. Um, so one of the 
question um, I had on the the numbers, you know. So can you pull the uh, slide back on, uh, which is the ADT traffic slide? Yeah, this is the one. So um, the first two bars are uh, on both sides of uh, High Street, right? The, tram, the ADT on both sides of um, High Street. And then you go to the, the rightmost end where you have the 26,000 for High Street Bridge, Alameda to Oakland. So that's going from Alameda, which means that they are traveling through the, um, the intersection, uh, Fernside and High. Uh, that's 26,000. The numbers are not adding up, so just want to. Yeah, they're not going to add up, as I mentioned before, because that's that's the bridge crossing. The two bars on the left are um, Burnside. And then right. there's also, what would add to that mix would be, uh, what's going to add to High would be High Street South, as well as, uh, what's the name of the diagonal street? Gibbons, and, and there's a lot of streets, other streets coming into it. Right, so these are actual counts that we, we got from the city that have been, okay. been confirmed. Uh, maybe if, if I can add, we, we actually got a lot of um, colloquial responses remarking yeah. that people coming off the High Street Bridge into Alameda would turn right onto Marina into the right. neighborhood yeah. in order to avoid the intersection there at Fernside. Oh, yeah. really? Um, we probably received quite a number of responses right. exactly that. So in actuality, that would be figures that are on the High Street Bridge count, but not on the High Fernside Road. Yeah. So there's a number of factors that go into that need. Yeah. No, definitely the, the traffic on the High Street itself makes sense. So, um, and do you have, um, probably I'm getting into too much um, in the, into the numbers, but I would love to see a turning moment. You know, I used to deal with numbers, but you know, I'm not able to go away from it, I guess. But the reason I'm asking for the turning moments is, I mean, if you have it in the report, that's fine. You can just send me the link. I would love to see it. Um, yeah. What's Turn, the so traffic uh, that's really you know, getting out of Alameda that's traveling on this? And you will get an idea of you know, the, the share of trips that's just traversing the corridor. They're not really going into the neighborhoods. Or they're not really living there. So. Absolutely, we did do turning movement counts, which are intersection counts, left and right and through movements at several intersections, and we have the information also at, also at high. We don't know who everybody is making each of those turns, but we do have the quantitative numbers. Okay. Would it be helpful for, I, I wanted to confirm it is a neighborhood connector street, and I was wondering if it would be helpful for me to, to read out what our street classifications document says about what this street classification is. Um, there are streets that provide connections between neighborhoods and shopping areas, schools, parks, other neighborhoods, for people walking, biking, taking the bus, or driving. The design of these streets must support citywide circulation <coughs> needs for all modes of transportation, safe and efficient travel, and a comfortable neighborhood environment. Given the relatively high traffic volumes on neighborhood connector streets, pedestrian crossings must be carefully designed to ensure safety for children walking to school, seniors, and people with disabilities. In some cases, a neighborhood connector may also serve as a transit route or a truck route. Prioritized curb uses on neighborhood connector streets are one, bus stops on transit routes, two, bicycle facilities as recommended in the active transportation plan, and three, on-street parking. 
the city wide circulation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is one other map that will be helpful, I think, um, which also came up in the comment, uh, which is the crashes by fatal and severe injuries marked up on the map. You have to 22 in total, but you know, along the corridor where exactly they are. Or maybe you, you have it, I missed it. Is this the 22? Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. This is the 22, okay. of course, in addition to the one fatality at the intersection of Cambridge, there were no severe injury crashes during this time period. Uh, so, so the other 22 that are marked are either visible injury or, or minor injury, as noted on the top left. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I think I did see this, but this is about uh, the, um, not the type of um, injury, but it is the mode um, classification is what's here, but that's fine. I just want to remind, sorry, um, my chair. Um, so um, add the, the corridor being um, serving the gateways in between gateways. And also um, um, acknowledge, in, or at least add a section on the pre-COVID data, just in case if we shoot up to that, and uh, how we would be looking at what kind of improvements we would be looking at as option B, something like that. Thank you, those, those are great suggestions. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Nactable. Thank you, and thanks for the really uh, thorough presentation, and you know, great community input gathering for sure. Uh, I'd like to build on Commissioner Johnson's idea of lessons learned and take it a little further. I think that we have some recent, recently implemented uh, corridor improvements where we could take some lessons learned from those. So for example, there was a lot of work recently done on Otis and I, I think that there are lessons to be learned since then, and also other places where post-implementation, you're finding that you're having to make fixes, and, and you being the general city, you, you know, where the city has had to go back and make fixes or things haven't worked as expected. Those are really good places to uh, take some lessons learned. Um, additionally, there's the short-term component, the long-term component, right? We're looking at two different types of development. What's, what's going to be most effective for each? And getting that, that data, not just from the community's ideas, and from, but, but it, even the C-click fix, where you find that there was a problem after the fact, right? Um, I, I do have a an anecdotal comment on these, what this new term to me, frankly, this vertical deflection. Speed humps. I, I discovered that Hawaii is now using speed humps to slow speeds in many places. And it's a very interesting approach as a driver to, to using them and to actually traversing them. So they definitely make you slow down, but I don't know if they're, they're really working or not, but that's an interesting place to, perhaps find some more uh, data, some more information, because they're everywhere there now, at least on Oahu. Um, and then I, this is a little all over the map, okay, but um, the, one of the things I noticed in the slide that was just up again recently with the, um, the injury data 
a, you know, a particular concern is that area around the school and the fact that there, even with the, the significant changes that have been implemented just around there, there's still some, some uh, injuries. So making sure that it's uh, safer because, uh, you know, the idea is safety here, right? So, and I think that's, I think that's all I've got, thanks. Thank you. Any other comments, <coughs> discussion items? All right, I did um, just wanna say thank you again. Oh, sorry, Commissioner Dara Abrams, I missed this you, sorry. This is so low on the list, but if, <laughs> if you, so I, I found it fascinating, the point about the, um, that um, someone raised about uh, the, what is this, Entinel Fernside intersection and the drainage issues there. And I know that is well beyond the scope here, but I was just, um, I'm probably not the only one wondering, like, is there a chance that that end turns into a utility project in effect, or like, you know, transportation project turning into a utility project, given that we have in mind, we can picture, like, there were, there were pictures of that intersection last winter, so. Um, out of the scope for a transportation discussion. So, thank you. I don't know if you have any comments on that or you wanna pass on, oh, maybe someone from the city. Hi, uh, Robert Vance from Public Works. So I just wanted to mention, we, did, we do have a, we're planning for a drainage improvement project on Friendside. Um, along with a pump station um, upgrade project to address that area along Fernside Central <coughs> where there has been significant flooding. So, um, so it's, I think it's a good thing that we're coordinating with the, the transportation improvements and the long-term um, improvements so we can coordinate those projects as we, as we proceed through the design. Thanks very much, Robert. Also good to hear about it, but also good to hear a separate parallel project for in terms of the, Ooh, thank you. Follow up. What's the order of operations for that in terms of like, you, it sounds like you guys are working together. So what, what's the? Well, generally I would say the underground work should be done first. Um, so um, <clears throat> knowing that the long-term improvements, I mean, the short-term improvements are really focused more on that, that corridor, that first part of the corridor between High Street and Tilden. Uh, with the long-term improvements being more in the area where the drainage improvements would be. So um, as we get through the design process, concept development, and the, um, you know, the engineering that has to be done for the drainage improvements, um, knowing that those improvements are like more like 2030, I think there's time to coordinate, um, you know, to do the underground first. But that's not to say that there couldn't be other improvements, you know, um, at the intersections that would help in the, in the shorter term, if that makes sense. All right, thanks. Thank you, Chair. Okay, of course, thanks. Any other comments? Okay. Um, thank you for the presentation. I just wanted to add that I really thought this was a very um, interesting presentation and thank you for um, Lisa and um, Jimmy and David for your um, presentations. I just wanted to make a comment that I really, 
uh, appreciate um, the amount of uh, work that the city did and the consultants did to get as much outreach and engagement on this topic. I think um, this is, it's really important for us to reach out to people who live um, along the corridor or who, or who access the corridor for various reasons to get input. I think that's really important here as just, you know, level setting to sort of get um, baseline information, um, what is not working, what is working, where can we go to make improvements. Um, I think that that's extremely critical and I think we did, an, uh, you all did a really incredible job. I think 600 um, respondents to a survey along this corridor is pretty um, astounding. Um, and I also think that, you know, Alameda and residents are just really involved in a way that I think other communities may not be and I just want to applaud people for coming out and making their voices heard. Um, with that said, I do um, want to second um, a lot of what Commissioner Dara Abrams said about like in terms of the, the quick build, you know, uh, encouraging the consultants with the city to sort of push that as far as we can in terms of like, um, I think speed reduction is like the number one thing on this corridor that I think we're highlighting. What can we do in the quick build um, to narrow the travel lane um, with the pavement resurfacing and the painting, making crosswalks more visible, um, as well as the, the rectangular rapid flashing beacons. I think sort of all of those things, I don't know if that can be done in the quick build, but it would be, if I could have my druthers, it would, it would, uh, I would love to see that. I'm also wondering if, I don't know if this is in the vertical, I'm sorry if I missed, the, what is it called? The, the vertical deflection, if like we could do rumble strips or something, I don't know if that's in the feasibility here uh, instead of like a hump or something like rumble strips, I think that really, um, is jarring enough to the drivers where maybe that would slow folks down. I don't know if we've, if you all have um, experience with that, but I, I'm very curious um, around that and I'm not sure if that's something that could be done in the quick build. And I do think that um, as we're thinking also the longer term, um, you know, there's opportunities to kind of, kind of think about the, the quick build as a short term, but also thinking about how to fold that in cohesively into a longer term solution for the entire corridor, I think is really important too. Um, and so just wanting to, to flag that for um, the design phase of it. But I'm really excited to sort of see where this goes. I think we have a really good um, set of information um, data already um, in terms of what, we, uh, what was physically observed as well as the comments back from the, from the engagement process to sort of set us on a path for some really great options to come in terms of design. And with that, any other comments before we close out this agenda item? I'll just, can I hold, I don't know if you have anything to add, Chair Souls. I know you are hanging on and it is very late your time. So I wanna make sure that if you have anything to no, add, think, that you have a chance to add. No, I appreciate it. I think we're, I think we're good to close the discussion. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Chair Souls. So now we'll move on to agenda seven, which is commission communications, and this is where we open up to commissioners uh, about anything they want to share out or provide updates on. Um, the floor is yours. Go ahead, Commissioner Susan Thera. 
Um, just a comment on lighting around the city hall in terms of um, accessing better access and safe access, I would say. Because I was driving um, on Santa Clara and then wanting to take uh, left onto Oak, and I really had difficult time whether there's somebody on the sidewalk, they're trying to cross, and then um, it was hard to locate some, um, but there was no one. It was, it's dark, and so there's no, I, I realize the lighting is poor. So you may want to reassess uh, or check how it is, and uh, especially around City Hall, it should be good, right? It should be safe, better, better lit, so. Um, so just wanted to mention it. Any other announcements or communications? Okay. So we can move on to adjournment. Do I have a motion to adjourn? I'll motion to adjourn. Great. And I, and Commissioner Witsi will, um, Second, thank you. So we, can we just do a voice vote? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All in favor? Aye. 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 Fabulous, Aye. thank you everyone. Have a good evening and see you next month. Aye. Thank you Chair Souls for being <laughs> online. <laughs> thank you. This is see so you soon. Safe travel. <laughs>